Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend, Embrit. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Embrit, how are you? I'm doing all right. You know, last week when I when I hit the pot on the on the the music, I was a little too abrupt. And then when I listened to it on edit, I kind of kicked myself. So this week I was really careful about a nice gradual. Just a nice slow, slow fade. <laughs> That's right. The hand motions are really what's key there, though. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm doing really well. What's weird is that you hand motion with both hands and you're not manipulating the board. It's with just your hands. the one. Yeah, no, it's. Because you know, I, I, it's like rubbing your belly and uh, patting your head or whatever, tickling your belly button, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, good weekend. Uh, weekend's coming to a close, sadly, but uh, you know, yours is just starting. So, just, how are you? Just beginning. I, um, good. I'm a little worn out. You know, my, my Sundays are are a weird day because I get home and sleep for like three and a half hours, and then try to accomplish a whole day on three and a half hours of sleep. So, I took a nap this afternoon. Felt really good. Hit the grocery store and uh, dealt with the throngs of people. Throngs? Panic- yeah. The throngs of people panic buying. And all I wanted to do was get groceries. Mm. It was it was one of the... And I don't really like going grocery shopping anyway. Is that light bright or something? No, it's fine. Oh. There's a spider on your head. Good. <laughs> uh, I don't really like going grocery shopping anyway because I don't like dealing with humans. I don't like dealing with other people. And there were just... Parking lot was full. It was hard to find parking. There were there were wagon trains of like you could tell single adults who were all roommates who were all panic buying. <laughs> so just these wagon trains traveling through the aisles and all stopping so that they could buy. I'm, and I'm this is not an exaggeration. I, I watched this happen. There were two probably late twenties, early thirties, single dudes, clearly roommates, just like buying armloads of Chef Boyardee. Yeah. You gotta get that. Like you gotta get that chef for show and top ramen. I was like, "That's what you're gonna live on for a two week pause." It's, this isn't like end of the world two weeks. This isn't lo- this like, hey, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pump the brakes here in Oregon for a couple weeks. Try to try to stop breaking a thousand cases a day and see if see if that helps. You know, I went to Goodwill yesterday and it was crazy too. So I I don't know. People, I think maybe it's just a weird weekend. Perhaps, perhaps the rain, everything else. Yeah, well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that you're you're surviving. I like your pants today. What is you got some? These are uh, Banana Republic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. I got some new Clark's on too. The Clark's dress chuck boots, new desert boots. Yeah, yeah. All right, I like them. They're a little stiff. They're they're actually they're not comfortable for about the first three months you own them. Yeah, yeah I less than that. I mean, you'll be fine in a week. Just kick no, around. I've been, I've been wearing them a lot. Okay, I'm the, sorry. Okay, but they're not the desert boots. They're not the really oh, soft. They're, the, they're the, the dress like the desert chuckas. Yeah, or the what are they called? I think they're like the dress deserts or something like that. Yeah. Harder sole, not the gum sole. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I've just, had that pair. They're very stiff. Yeah, I've had that pair. Well, uh, I, I've actually had a just, almost enough of hearing you. So I think it would be a great time to introduce our guest. And 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 you've seen already the tile because you pressed play, so you know. Uh, I think we've got probably one of the coolest guests we've ever had on the show. Mike Razak, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) It is not Mike Razak. But it's someone that we have talked about indirectly. Quite a few times. Probably like 50 times on the show. Or certainly we've talked about his products at least 50 times. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe never him directly. 
Uh, but we do have been featured on the website in it's multiple featured. iterations. We have recently given away one of his watches as part of our Patreon get together. Truth. Uh, we we gave away the Lafayette uh, Flybrick Chronograph. So we have on the line the 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 man, the mystery, the enigma, who is Vishal Talani, CEO of Dartmouth Brands, owner of Dartmouth Brands, being the owner of Spinnaker, Aviate. Dufa, yeah, Duxit, which is a Duxo, which is so. a Duxo, which is a brand that I was recently introduced to, as well as several other watch brands. I think it's there's about eight, uh, eight or nine in in the company at this point. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Vishal, uh, how Vishal, how are you? Welcome to Forty and Twenty. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Likewise, I kind of have been in the background um, looking to connect with you guys, and that's happened through various versions of uh of our watches so i'm really glad to kind of be i, I mean we we uh obviously have been in the shadows for a while oh personally but uh but yeah it's kind of nice to step out in front of the curtain as it were to uh to say hello and uh, obviously to everyone who's listening uh to kind of introduce myself and hopefully shed some light on uh, some of whom may already be kind of people fans customers uh owners of some of our of our watches, so just want to say, a first, a thank you, and secondly, obviously, to to try and shed some, shed some light on uh, who we are and, and what we're doing. And, and so, Vishal, I I have to admit, I sort of pictured you as a supervillain. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, I sort of pictured you as a supervillain, and it turns out you're just a dude in a somewhat cluttered but overworked office. Uh, yeah. uh, a handsome dude, I will say. Thank you, you're but but also say, clearly not a supervillain. Yeah, no, no, definitely. You're getting the side view, which is, which is, I think, on purpose. So sure. the camera's coming in on my profile of my sort of lo- rather large nose. Um, it, but, this but is no, your good side, though, right? This is the good. Side. I'd hope if you're going to set your camera up for a profile view, you choose the good side. That's, <laughs> think, that's a good choice. I think I did. I think that was yeah. the idea, but uh, accidental. But I've realized this is actually not accidental. It's kind of how everything was set up to kind of. Uh, to show off my sort of better attributes. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to put food on the table. I know it sounds silly, but just like everybody else, uh, we make watches. That's what we do. And I uh, introduce myself. I, I kind of say, oh, I'm a watchmaker. And then people immediately go to a vision of a, of a Geppetto-like figure kind of with a monocle, you know, over a desk making. Yes. And, and I'm like, no, not quite. Um, but that's what I call myself. We're, we're watchmakers. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think that's, that's the job title. Um, and yeah, that's what we do. We try to put, uh, you know, pay the rent, uh, keep the lights on making watches. I'm, I'm very grateful for the fact that I actually like what, what I do. Um, and we have a lot of fun doing it at times. Obviously along with that is a lot of pain as anybody in this business can attest to. Yes. Uh, Yes, a, we've heard lots a, of stories of the the ass pain that is making watches. It, it is it is horrific at times, right? It is a very convoluted supply chain, and I try because again, our background is we are manufacturers, right? So we have done this um, as a legacy family-run business for over thirty-five years. So you know we know our way around the supply chain, and it is a painful, painful business, right? The number of pieces that go into the watch obviously i think the audience definitely appreciates but it is another level to kind of map out the geography of where all these pieces lie at you know anything from the hardware on the buckle that's not made by the leather strap maker like that's 
middleware, right? And then you send it to a strap maker who then has to affix it. Uh, and that needs to be, you know, this just the sheer convolution of how a watch is made, I don't think ever gets truly, truly appreciated. That's uh, logistics. It's like a self-licking ice cream home of logistics. <laughs> like, we made it hard so we can all have jobs. <laughs> like, no, there's, there's just no streamlining because everyone does such a specific part and everyone's so good at those specific parts. There's no way to, to replace them with something else well so so before we get into deep i know there's i know that dartmouth brands dartmouth has some history um and and we can talk about that um but maybe first is sort of a preliminary matter can we talk a little bit about what dartmouth brands is today i know that some of these brands that are owned by dartmouth are going to be familiar to the folks listening others are not but just gen and and you know when you look at these brands there's not a ton of homogeneity across across the brands you know they're all very sort of Discrete, and I assume that that's that's purposefully so. But talk a little bit about what Dartmouth Brands is and your various brands, and what what uh, comprehensively, globally, ecumenically, if you will, it, are you doing at Dartmouth Brands? So the Dartmouth Brands is essentially an umbrella of these brands that we built and you know either bought or incubated ourselves. Uh, aside from our manufacturing business, so our manufacturing business is a completely separate business where people come to us and we either offer design or manufacturing to develop watches. So the Dartmouth Brands essentially is an umbrella and it started out basically because we had people saying to us, hey, look, I'd, I'd love a private label watch, but I don't have a label. Could you think of one for us? So along the way, we started to kind of not only put watches together, well, we put brands together. And in doing so, you know, Interin started uh, what we have now, which is a collection of all or about four or five or six or more brands uh, that do different things. So there, in many ways, is no grand design to sort of say, we're going to get watch business and create a, a, a brand related to aviation or diving or you know, inspired by Bauhaus design elements. It was really kind of us fumbling towards solving business goals. And, and here we are, right? So uh, the Dartmouth brand, basically, we needed a new umbrella to kind of capture it as much as we can. I'm not saying it's the finished article, but the idea is that uh, the Dartmouth brand should represent, yes, that inside there are a collection of great brands. The, the parent company um, is called Solar Time Limited, which is based in Hong Kong. And that is a sort of the manufacturing hub, right? Dartmouth is going to essentially become this branded uh, product incubator um, that is uh, a brand incubator that basically kind of captures all these brands together. Um, so yeah, we we have um, uh, obviously every brand, however, starts with its own DNA. Um, every brand is on its own journey. We like to say we think of them quite uh, individually. We don't do a lot of overlap when it comes to production through design. Um, but there are obviously some sort of economies of scale when it comes to administration, logistics, purchasing. But, you know, we try to keep it uh, relatively distinct from a perspective of making sure every brand has its own voice, every brand has its own DNA, every brand has its own font language. And again, sometimes, you know, we're not, you know, great at this, but it's that's the idea. And um, uh, and that's the fun, right? So that we can basically, under the same roof, kind of think in a sort of house mindset for Dufa. We can kind of obviously get our snorkel on for Spinnaker and for AVA, we can take to the skies. So that's that's the idea. Um, sure. Well, why don't we walk through some of these other brands? Because I think some of these brands are going to be maybe 
uh, r- really peripherally familiar to to some of our listeners, and and maybe others they they haven't heard of it also. So I'm going to go through some others that I know. So sure, the first sure, one, sure. I I think maybe maybe the one that I just at, at a purely aesthetic level like the most, the CCCP brand. Yeah. So I'll give you the backstory to that. So uh, <clears throat> once upon a time, um, we came across a huge trove of. Slava movements that were the sort of the you know the movements that were still left in the Soviet era factories. We essentially basically captured them uh, for for you know a certain amount from the factory, and therein we were left with them. Uh, and we came across a gentleman, Alexander Shorokov, who's a great watchmaker. Yeah, we we know we know of him. Okay, great. So Alexander said, "Hey, look, I know you have these movements. I'd like to do a deal with you. I'm going to give you." our brand, CCCP, which was a brand that he had as a diffusion product. And at the same time, he said, in barter for some of these movements. So we, we did the deal. We then took on this brand, which was his basically tribute brand to the sort of life and times of the Soviet Union. And that's what we did. We took and started injecting into there the Slava 2427s into, that, uh, into those watches. So that was the idea. And uh, that's a good one. And, and Dufa brands? Uh, Doof is another one kind of that we bumped into. We had someone who owed us money. He said, hey, look, I can't pay you, but look what I've got. I've got this brand. It's called Dufa, Deutsche Uhren Fabrik. Uh, gave me a couple of PowerPoint slides. And, and, you know, and I said, look, I think the product that you have is pretty poor, but I think there is a story. <laughs> it's, uh, there's got to be some potential, which we then uh, obviously rebooted. Um, we do manufacture the watches in Germany. Uh, but what we did was we modernized some of the design cues, and we liked the story that there was some sort of lineage back to a clock factory in pre-war Germany. Um, and that's, again, so that gives us a sense of being able to really trail a lot of the sort of the better brands in the German uh, pyramid, the Junghanses, the Nomoshes, um, and some of the others, not the Langens, but most of the sort of Bauhaus-inspired brands. So we wanted sure. to kind of capture that post Daniel Wellington purchase, right? Right. You do a minimal watch brand, you're not yet ready for a Nomosh, but in between, there we are. And yeah. that's that's the truth. I mean, I think that's what we try to do, but we try to be, you know, more you know, precise and consider about the manufacturing. Um, and uh, but it has a it definitely has something to it for sure. Set down set down the Skagen. Set it yeah. down. <laughs> exactly. Do so. Do so. Do so is another Duxo. one that Basically, a reboot of a uh, of a vintage brand that you know honestly it was done to capture a business goal. I mean, I think some of these brands, you know, we've had to conceive uh, on the back of trying to figure out a business goal. There were certain things that we wanted to do, uh, maybe not always at the full uh, arsenal of what we were trying with our Aviate and Spinnakers, because by that time we established a, a strong brand DNA, but we still wanted to mess around with stuff. So. Essentially, you know, there's a lot of great vintage silhouettes and ideas that we wanted to sort of shelve into one of our brands. And and Duxo does that. Duxo allows us to kind of play a little bit with other familiar uh, vintage silhouettes and ideas uh, without kind of now inflicting upon Spinnaker and ABA. I think now we've established yeah. a strong uh, individual roadmap for both of those. I, I was going to say Duxo to me seems like the least uh, seems like the least sort of uh, discreet brand. It, it seems uh, n- not not that it's uh, not that it's a melting pot at all, but it definitely yeah. seems like you've got some real freedom within yeah. that within that brand to to play with these historical timepieces silhouettes. Absolutely. Yeah, 
Absolutely. That's the idea. And there's some great things. I'm like, oh, we'd love to do that, but we didn't figure a place where we could tuck it into. So, you know, look so. And there's a couple of others that you might see from us shortly where we kind of reboot certain vintage brands that, again, we want to make decent products, um, but, but, and, and try to kind of revitalize some of the, the DNA within those brands, but obviously try and be a little bit more widespread with what we put inside them. Um, with Aviate and Spinnaker, we're a little bit more deliberate, a little bit more considered about now what constitutes a good Aviate. We know our families, we know kind of what sits inside those brands. So, uh, But the other brands allow us to kind of have fun with them a bit more. Now, when you talk about we rebooting brands, are you entering into partnerships with brands and, and kind of like in the way in, in, in just providing uh, oversight, an umbrella for this brand to fall under, grow up in, and thrive in? Or is what does that relationship look like between Dartmouth and these, these b- downstream brands? Yeah, so I think some of it is born by, you know, we'll incubate a brand because mm-hmm. we obviously create the branding, we'll create the products, uh, we'll, we'll obviously create the content, you know, some of the marketing outreach will be done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, essentially, we have to consider that every brand has its own business plan, right? Mm-hmm. Every brand own route to market every brand has its own uh audience and and we recognize that so some of the brands that you'll also find in the umbrella aren't going to be covered by watch bloggers right they're sold on tv um they're a little bit dare i say you know a little bit more adventurous is the sort of uh polite word they're not to everyone's taste but you know we're never going to sort of say we only make watches that are going to turn up in hodinky we're we're, going to design watches that cater to the wide wide audience Mm -hmm. of watch fans and so whether you like an Invictus style watch or not, we have, you know, there's an audience. They, they are watch buyers and we want to cater in, on some level to, to that audience, right? And I think that matters as a business to make sure that we've plucked off as much of that tree buying tree, sort of the watch buying tree that we can get, that we can get to. So that, that I think is it, like that we sort of also identify niches and segments that we don't necessarily cover with what we have. And, Maybe we can entertain that with a new brand or so. So, I appreciate the introduction, the the really brief, broad strokes of Dartmouth. I'm curious yeah. about you. How did yeah. you get in? Not, it, I, I don't care how you got into the chair this morning. I imagine you walked in the office and sat down. But how did you land in this chair that you're in right now? So the I'll get, well. So this is a legacy business, right? So mm-hmm. my dad started this business in the say the late 70s early 70s and um i didn't really have a design on this i mean i'm not a watch um maker i'm not trained as a watchmaker i i like product but in another lifetime i was a banker um about 20 years ago and um didn't really have a very firm direction on what i wanted to do and just by osmosis my dad was like look if you're not doing anything um why don't you help me with a couple of these things in the office i was like well i don't know uh, and it just kind of <laughs> went from there. And then he probably had a sort of far-reaching trap that he set out for me. But anyway, he did. He did. He caught he probably, you. He knew. He's like, this guy's going nowhere. I better put him into something before he just drains me. So it was. <laughs> it was a lot of that. And then, no, I love what we do. I love products. You know, I really, really have a great appreciation for product design. Uh, I'm not a designer by training. I'm not a watchmaker by training. But um, along the way, no, definitely I've, I've come to, just like anybody else, I'm a fan of great products, great brands, uh, great watches, uh, and, I, and, I, and I really enjoy what we do. I, I'm really, really um, 
having a lot of fun with it. But it's all very accidental. There's no, you know, game plan for this to happen. A lot of this kind of just, um, it just did. And uh, we just fumbled our way here. Um, but we continue as a business to manufacture for other people. We continue, obviously. But I think, you know, the nature of what we do now in managing these fully fledged brands is, is, is takes on new skill sets. So it's obviously challenging our business in different ways because we have to now become better equipped to understand marketing and understand logistics and customer service. You know, we now essentially own that entire chain from the factory all the way down to the customer service piece, which as anyone can tell you is, is its own beast altogether, right? Understanding the sort of tribulations of what happens once a product ships, you know, you still own that relationship. And, and that's very different than a traditional manufacturer that puts it in a box, leaves it at the port, and the commitment is done, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in our world, it's, it doesn't end. Um, but no, it's, it's, uh, it was, like I said, 20 years ago, I was a banker, and, um, and then I wasn't, and then uh, here we are. Um, yeah, and it's been obviously a lot of stuff to try the narrow to where we have gotten to. But but yeah, I would, um, and I know I didn't answer this very well. I didn't give you the sort of sort of soap opera <laughs> legacy of what happened along the way. But I'm not sure we have all the time for it. I'd love to come back and kind of give you the sort of you know blow by blow, painful sort of rundown over the last 20 years. But that's for another podcast, I imagine. <laughs> all right. Uh, so. Talk to us about the pivot. The, when was that transition, and and how did you get to that transition point as as Dartmouth from just being a manufacturer of watches to saying, you know what, we have we have everything we need. We have the market knowledge. We we have all of this. Why are we why aren't we setting out for ourselves? And where was that first brand relationship built? And and why why was it was it just not being happy with the status quo or seeing that you had it? I mean, I'm I'm thinking of like. Oh shoot! That company that does coolers—they used to inject them for Yeti, and, uh, and now they do them themselves. Like Jackson, they do kayaks too. It, but but that's, that's kind of what I'm imagining: somebody who was manufacturing a product for somebody and said, "Well, I, I can do it just as well, if not better." Absolutely, and I, and I think that's it. The frustration came because we would, you know, propose designs for brands all over the world, and you know they'd shoot them down, and and we were pretty confident that like, Hey, this is, this is, you know, something interesting. And, and we would see a lot of the design work, a lot of the development work get passed over. So that was some frustration. The other part of it is the manufacturing business is a fickle game, right? If you are working for some of the larger watch groups, it's, you know, things can change and that volatility didn't serve us well. So there was that, there was the idea of hedging ourselves for, change in dynamic between some of our customers and then a lot of it borne by the frustration of saying we're going we're doing some great designs uh great development and um, they're never seen the light of day and 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 also i think the other big turning point was the flattening out of the marketing piece the moment that you started to understand that you could communicate ever easier the advent of social media and instagram and whatnot we figured that out we're like we can get our voice out and, as, as, and I think that was the other missing piece because generally marketing in the sort of pre-social media Instagram era was complicated and expensive, right? It was falling yeah. through trade shows. It was Basel World. It was general, you know, and it was very, very expensive and prohibitive. And I think to start a brand in those days cost a lot of money and you didn't, if you didn't have a license, right? So um, that was the other sort of rocket fuel that you could have as a business if you slapped on a, a fashion brand name that was an easy way to get some sales. If you started a brand, a bona fide brand on your own, it, it was not easy. But I think obviously 
social media made that um, a very different game. And, uh, and we, we saw that. And so all of a sudden we're like, okay, we have the marketing piece now, at least in our hands, let's give it a shot. And that's, and that's what we did. You know, I think we, we, we fumbled our way towards that. Uh, but it was born by this frustration by seeing our de designs aren't going anywhere and the entire manufacturing relationship is fixed. So understanding that we needed some agency and ownership of our own destiny matter. And, and, and that's still very much the thinking. Um, yeah, and and and, uh, and yeah. So I think that's what really kind of gave us that sort of moment of inflection to say it's time to really inject our best into our own product. And so of these eight of these eight proprietary brands, as they're described on your website, which, which of those was the first? Which one? Which one was the one that sort of uh, came came to be, came to fruition uh, first, and sort of got this ball really rolling? It was 88. I think 88 was the first one that uh, really kind of uh, that we did. And, 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 I, and I think if I'm not mistaken, if you really go back, if, if, if you're if you really have your Google, you know, ninja skills out and you go back to some early, early iterations of 88, some of those watches are. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're they're. Um, uh, yeah, you know, they're they're, they're interesting. That's uh, <laughs> what. But, you know, it's like if you go back and you see the first Richard Meal, like people sort of say, oh, my God, but, but everyone starts somewhere. Anyway, the point being that we, we, we obviously um, have moved a long way from there. But I think it was and I think the moment was we weren't able to also generate any business. It wasn't the e-commerce part that we do have today. We were trying to. So here's what it is. Groupon, I think, was exploding, and Groupon was a large intake of anything you could get their hands on. Yeah. And someone said to us, "Hey, look, I think we can get these watches on Groupon. Do you care?" And I said, "I don't really care. I'm not. I have no designs on being on Macy's or any of these sort of high-fledged department stores. We do now, obviously. But I think that's where a lot of these watches were, were had some life because they weren't getting their hands on bona fide brands. So there was this whole library of brands that were just invented or just came to market." And so Groupon says, well, here's a PO or, or a flash sale for that matter. It was like, well, we, look, we can't get any Michael Kors, but whatever. We'll give you some POs for an AVA, whatever that is. And we started selling. So there's proof of concept to say that we can kind of make some money doing this. Um, but that was, that was also an era of the flash sale when the, you know, these, these new actors online needed products. They needed brands. They needed something. And they didn't really care. Uh, what it was called. They just needed something that could be shot, photographed, and sold at a high ticket, uh, a discounted. And that wasn't, you know, they didn't have access to. And, know, and they get 10%. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. So, so that's also just kind of gave us some likes. Okay, actually, we could do this. Uh, that's obviously disappeared. And, you know, we've cleaned up our act a lot. That was, again, to, to credit the true origin about why and how we got there. Because I think if we weren't, we could have made the watches, but if we weren't selling them, I think it would have kind of come to a close pretty quickly. That's that's such a like, I, I love that idea. Of something that was it, Groupon was kind of just a flash. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it it existed. I mean, there was probably like a seven year success, and now they're they're scraping just to, just yeah. to survive. Yeah, I but think that was, Groupon that was sort of like evolved into what it was, what it really was best at in the first place, which is like. Weekends in Mexico, right? But I never thought of it as a jumping off point for a, or a launch pad for brands. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, we didn't either. We were just excited to get a PO. We didn't really think this out. Is this going to debase our brand? I didn't think we had thought this out all the way through. But we recognized we were just so thrilled that someone wanted a brand we just made up that we, you know, obviously we, we sold it to them. And I think that cleanup took a couple of years once we realized this probably wasn't the best way to create longevity for any of these brands, you know, we 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 took uh, we stopped taking the easy PO. We invested a lot more in our own B two C, and we started really kind of cleaning up what was out there. But but again, to be fair, and and I credit that sort of era uh, of of giving life to a lot of brands that today, some of whom still do the same thing, high low, um, you know, a lot of that slightly cheesier piece. But but that's where we started. And, I, you know, make any apologies for it. Vault Privé is another one, uh, which was a huge flash sale operator. I think they're still around, but they also gave light to a lot of brands that weren't brands, but but all of a sudden they just needed content, and that search for product content, I think, was what uh, drove drove that. And you saw this plethora of, of brands again. You know, the, the ability to manufacture product became a lot easier. Uh, the transparency that came from the internet, so a lot of that gave birth to it. So you kind of you kind of alluded to being on the on the other side of a of a little bit of an identity crisis coming from not not being a Kickstarter brand but being just sort of being a Groupon brand initially and you you talked about overcoming that cuz i there there's a strange something that people can take from oh you know they were available on Groupon it can't be this and and where what is what is Dartmouth's place in the watch industry i mean you're you're not not really micro brands. Yeah. You're not fashion brands, really. Yeah. Nor are you big Swiss luxury brands. And I, and I, it, the way you your intersectionality of the brands that you have is really fascinating. I was wondering what you see as your place in the industry and where you want to grow to, or is this the niche that you've carved out and want to stake out and hold? That's a great, I mean, I don't think we've ever been asked that. I think we, we definitely, like you said, um, it's a unique position. Like we like proprietary brands. We like to inject uh, the best of our ability to create a brand universe. I think that's the mm -hmm. fun of the day, right? And so I think we want to continue to maintain that. Um, we, we, um, we're, we're certainly of a larger size. We're not a pure micro brand business, but each brand on its own, behaves in some ways like a micro brand, right? We mm -hmm. don't have agencies that do all the marketing. We're not, we're, you know, everything is done in-house, the photography, the, 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 the advertising, the marketing, the outreach. So in that way, every brand has a great deal of hustle. But obviously, you know, above that is a certain degree of infrastructure that allows it to, to happen a little bit easier. Um, so we have that sort of, I do want to continue to have that sort of micro brand mentality and hustle uh, because I think that's good, um, but we obviously have the benefit of some scale and manufacturing, which allows us to be, you know, act a little bit beyond um, what microbrand might be able to achieve and and do day to day. But it's a good place to be. There's there, we we're we're trying to continue to do that, right? What I want to be is continue to do that. We want to represent a great brand in its own sector. We want ABA to continue to be this great community of you know a venn diagram of, of aviation geeks and and watch fans and create a sort of you know lower price breitling-esque 
uh, identity. I mean, I'm you know we're honest enough about where I where I but but have unique product in that vein as well. We don't want to be you know we want people to recognize in '88 and say that. And the same thing with Spinnaker. Obviously, pieces kind of draw from silhouettes so they understand. But there's going to be increasingly a Spinnaker identity, and that's when I when what we want to try and do. So, um, but. The, the Dartmouth should just offer the Dartmouth brands ID should just offer the the sort of the better blanket of services that allow each brand to flourish. So if we develop a new brand, if we acquire a brand, if we partner with a brand, it's the same thing. We're not going to sort of uh, create a sort of universal message. We're going to allow that brand to do what it should do, and that's hopefully I think something that uh, you know as a business is 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 unique. Uh, but you're right. I, I don't know if there's any sort of peers in that respect. Currently, a lot of the bigger groups are, are, you know, larger conglomerates like the Fossil Group, which are licensed and have some obviously proprietary brands underneath. Um, but yeah, I like where we're at, and I think is uh, it still seems to serve uh, serve us. So, so we'll continue to do so. Well, you, you know, and and on that note, I mean, first I, I want to say Andrew suggested that you you don't Dartmouth Brands is not really a fashion brand. I think that there are probably some. Uh, brands under that umbrella that that I would call fashion brands. I don't think that's a bad thing, and I think that um, it, it's sort of part of what you guys are doing. And sure. and I think explicitly, you've even suggested that you know we want to have QVC brands, or I, I don't know if QVC is is a, a vendor that you guys work with, but um, you know we want to have Macy's brands. We want to have yeah. sort of brands that are are in this niche, the enthusiast niche. Uh, so I don't think fashion brand is is a bad word. I don't think yeah. in this sense it has to be. Um, but I also I, I want to touch on something that you've you, you're not dancing around it at all. But you've you've touched on the topic a little bit. I don't think Dartmouth brands. I think it would be fair to say until fairly recently, Dartmouth brands has not been super transparent um, mm. about uh, you, you know Spinnaker Aviate. You know I think it was only fairly recently that I really understood that these companies were all sort of part of a bigger group. And, and, yeah. and I suspect that there was something that happened over, over there where you guys decided, Hey, this makes sense for us just to be transparent. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? What, what your sort of strategy was, you know, to the extent, you know, I'm assuming a little bit that there was a change, but can you talk a little bit about what was happening before and, and, and if there was a change, what the change was? Sure. No, I, I mean, it's, it is a good point. And it's, uh, so I think a lot of it is borne by our legacy as a manufacturer. I, I, um, in my previous sort of life as a pure manufacturer, you know, we were very much in the shadows. You know, I would visit Basel World and I would basically be scurrying around the alleys, kind of sending off samples to brands and then kind of shoot off like a rat. So there was this idea like, <laughs> But you got to see so much cool stuff. Yeah, and, and so, but that was that was it. I would literally land, you know, into Zurich, take the train in, you know, dish out these samples. They would, you know, show them in these beautiful booths and these windows. And I just, like I said, just get out of here, get out. It was just shoot off like a, so I think we had this legacy of like, nobody wanted to hear from the manufacturer, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, and, and again, for whatever reason that may have been, but I think there was certainly a time and place when that's the way that Basel and, and that brand world was was structured um that obviously um was part of my thinking it's kind of my bias and so when we started to create brands that oh what we need is a really english sounding uh blanket company called dartmouth we'll call it dartmouth brands and we'll have a and and, and in all in honesty i think that's what we set out to do was to create a sort of a faux english uh sort of blanket company that would uh, encapsulate this 
but you know and again we weren't obviously we I'm, I'm not someone who's obviously spending a lot of time on the forums but with enough detective work it becomes very easy to figure out who owns Spinnaker who owns Aviate it's not uh, who owns Dufa and eventually you know we would get some noise back from our customer service and you get some sort of iffy feedback and so it took us time we also became uh, better equipped to handle the conversation I think sometimes we weren't always uh, didn't have the right vocabulary to discuss it and we didn't have the right training to have it but I don't think that matters anymore I think right now just being upfront being being uh, transparent unfiltered I think is an asset uh, clearly to this audience that we now appeal to where, where they're pretty savvy right they know what's inside, they know where it's made, they know how it gets done, and they respect that, right? And I think that's something that's changed in the last six, seven, eight, ten years, thanks to guys like yourselves who are, you know, more informal about how we communicate about watches, about brands, and, and all this stuff. So I think that's also given us the confidence to be a little bit more upfront. And I think it's service, right? Where before I thought we would think it was a liability and a legacy of like, where are you from and where are these watches made? And, and that, I think, has dissipated, and that's not really who we really sell watches to. So, um, so yeah, I think it, it's, it's taken a while. It's been a gradual shift uh, into this. But, but yeah, it, it definitely, I think now, as we said, we've done, I've done some interviews in the past and some podcasts where I've introduced myself. I've talked a little bit more transparently about where the brands come from. And so we say here, you know, it's, it's all from this company called Dartmouth and this is who we are. So, yeah, we're going to be more obvious and more explicit about that. But it's it's not something that came automatically. And I think I said it's a legacy of kind of where we started out as a as a manufacturing business, as we pivoted to a, a sort of much more brand uh, oriented one. I, I think I think it serves to to add some credibility, and I, and I think it's all in the way you shape that narrative that you guys are you're based out of Hong Kong, right? That's that's where you're based out of. You live there. You work there. That's that's where it is. I mean, I, I assume your family's there. I, I don't know if you were if you were born there or if your dad moved to Hong Kong as part of the manufacturing, like to to establish this business. It's yeah. You 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 built this business in the heart of where it where it is. That's that's why you're there. Absolutely, absolutely. And I and I think look, there's you know I think the other thing that I've seen is um, there are more brands that are born in Hong Kong in Singapore. Uh, that's new, you know. That's not something that I mean. The watches are clearly designed here and 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 built here, but the ownership of that brand has, has, has changed, right? People respect. There's great brands coming out of Singapore. There's a huge, great community of, of micro brands coming out of there. Uh, Undone is another brand that's firmly based in Hong Kong. They're 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 on the tear as well. They're doing a lot of work. So, you know, that that this entire world is flattened out. It's not the same conversations. Um, the less it's 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 just it's just more um, yeah I mean so the Dartmouth brand I think was again that thinking that we needed a, um, a an umbrella group necessarily I think if we were to do it today we would probably structure it differently we might think about it differently but for now uh, it's good because we still own a manufacturing business and we still own uh, this side of the business as well so that that still kind of gives us a mentality and a mindset that Dartmouth is. You know, you're incubating the brands, you're thinking about the consumer all the way through, whereas with Solar Time, which is the parent company, that's far more injected in terms of manufacturing and contract manufacturing for other groups where, you know, we would be more discreet about who we make for. And, and our work there uh, is, is obviously more um, dedicated to that side of the, that side of the industry. 
so I I would like to uh, I I would like to talk just a little bit about uh, what Dartmouth Brands uh, is doing, and, and and I mean on, on sort of a micro scale right now. I, I know that. Uh, Spinnaker has their fluce, which has been incredibly popular these last couple of years, uh, or maybe last year, I think. Um, I, I know that Aviate has some really neat watches that have come out. In fact, we were both huge fans of the uh, Lafayette Flyboy. I think that that's just yeah. a fun watch. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of, you, you know, for, for, for my part, I say, oh, the dial's too busy, but look at this bracelet is awesome. You know, I, I yeah. think that you're doing really interesting pieces. I've just recently been introduced to do so. Uh, and I think, gosh, that brand has some great possibilities. Uh, and looking at the catalog, I think, well, these are kind of fun watches. Uh, what do you think in terms of the enthusiast? Our audience is 99% enthusiast. Um, Super nerd enthusiast. The, the yeah. nerd, the, the, the nerd enthusiast watch geek guy and gal and gal. Uh, yeah. Lots gals. of them. Yeah. Gals, several of them. Um, for, for those folks, for our, for our audience, what do you think, what do you think we should be looking at? Are are there brands that are going to, um, start having a heavier, uh, enthusiast presence or are there watches, specific watches that you think people should be looking for? Yeah. I mean, I think the two flagship brands still continue to be Aviator and, uh, Spinnaker, I think, uh, but look out for Dufa. Dufa, I think still is true to that sort of. Uh, we might pivot a little bit more in terms of sports watch category. We came out with a piece called the Gunther uh, last year, which which I thought was a nice sort of directional move in, in Dufa towards a sports watch. Uh, you know, previously a lot of it was very sort of minimal, dressy, unisex pieces. Um, but we've, we've started to, you'll start to see a little bit more noise out of Dufa to kind of through the prism of that Bauhaus design language, more sports watches, right? So they, there's a huge, obviously, fan base for utilitarian sports, field, dive, yeah. uh, style watches. But to do it in through the prism of a very dedicated Bauhaus uh, uh, design code, I think, was something that I'm excited about seeing out of Dufa. So, uh, and with Aviate and Spinnaker, I think, you know, we continue to kind of think with Aviate, you know, we just launched a charity watch actually this week. Uh, in collaboration with a group out of the UK called Help for Heroes. So it's a great cause for anybody who's listening, check it out. Um, And I like the fact that we are trying to build a community, right? I think beyond, um, you know, selling watches on Aviate, that channel is becoming, for me, at least hopefully a place where we can bring in people who can really appreciate not only the watches, but the storylines behind them, right? So when we do what's called the Eagle Squadron, we want to tell people, about, hey, there was this, there's this great time in history when, you know, little like kids who volunteered to fight in World War One and World War Two uh, at a time when the U.S. wasn't involved in, you know, there's some great little stories to tell inside the world of military aviation and reflecting inside the watches is, is, a, is something that we enjoy doing. Right? We create a bit of history, collectability. Um, that's fun. And with Spinnaker, it's the same thing. You know, last year we launched a watch that uh, was a tribute to the deep sea Rolex, the the Picard, which did really, really well. You know, we want to take risks. We want to try different things. Um, and and we have the ability to do so. So I think with every brand, you know, I think we, we, we're we thinking about, are we putting too many new watches out? Are we trying too many things? So we're having this internal discussion about what is what's next for every, but every brand has to have its own mission. Every brand has to kind of think, okay, what's the roadmap for Aviate? 
what's going to be the roadmap for Spinnaker, what's going to be the roadmap for Dufa. So we try to isolate each brand's own thought process of what's next. But the good news is, right, there are brands under the hood that, you know, we do a cafe racer inspired brand called James McCabe. We, I've been looking we, at James McCabe most yeah. of the time we've been talking. They're pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we, we have a, a uh, sort of space and sea related watch called Nubeo, which is a reboot of a circulation. And that predominantly sells in, in, in different channels. Again, it's not to. Uh, uh, it has a different aesthetic. Uh, it has a different proportion, a different design code. But, you know, it's another brand that we're very happy with and proud of, of, of demonstrating our prowess of, of making a watch that does cool things. You know, we want everybody who owns any piece to really enjoy what they have. I, that's that's the end goal. I, I tell anybody to really enjoy this collection, whatever that may be, whatever their taste may be, whatever they're pointing to, enjoy it. And if we bring some, again, this sounds corny, but if we bring some joy and some excitement with a purchase, that's great. You know, I, I, you, you work hard, you, you spend the money where you want to. And if you're happy with what you have spent it from and you got it from us, I, I, you know, it's, that's great news. What has been the, the biggest challenge of, of capturing markets? Because there's so much, there, there's so many markets and, and people within watch buyers you have the person who's going to the jewelry counter like i just need a watch i I don't want it to have a dive bezel and then you've got people like everett and i and everyone listening who are real assholes we get so stupid about the things that we want and don't want we're like oh i like this but i wish it was a half a millimeter thinner (laughs) and then it would be great and then you get people who who are buying it as a gift where how, how are you guys balancing those those needs, those desires, because you guys, you, you seem to be tapping into it and, and not, not universally, because there's some, there's some out there that are just not for me. And there's some out there that are like, they're for a very small segment. But generally speaking, there's such wide appeal and wide appreciation for, for these watches that you guys have. And how are you, how are you striking that balance? It's, it's, so that's interesting. I think the era of a brand that can capture everything right so you look at a brand like casio or seiko or, or citizen for that matter you know you go to japan you can buy literally a resin watch for five bucks at a drugstore and you can buy some really insanely cool watches all under the casio umbrella we should um, go to japan <laughs> <laughs> that era of that so so we don't like you said there's a whole universe of people who fundamentally like to buy watches how do we so every brand is basically anchoring to try to find a little niche, a little tribe mm-hmm. that we can stand for. The niche that you guys are involved in, the sort of super nerd, super possessed of what's inside. And, and I don't like the font that you use. And uh, here's a, you know, 15X microscope that we put inside this watch. <laughs> um, uh, we've just been making fun of people doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. We call that group the asshole group, right? Yeah. And, and I know, Zach, when you were on Warner One, Zach told you you couldn't swear. You can swear on our show. Oh, right, all right, right. So, so, so that asshole group and <laughs> are great because they force us to raise our game, right? But there are some brands that we sort of say, these watches are not for you. But there are certainly brands that we kind of hope to lift our game to kind of say, hey, Guys, what do you think of this? And, you know, and, and bluntly, people will be like, that's a piece of shit. Or they will say like, hey, you know what? For the money, that's pretty insane. And I think that's the idea. We we try to capture it as fair value, right? If you're mm-hmm. going to pay $100, we want to give you as much watch 
and as much quality within that $300. And again, you, you pick up some of these micro brands, it's insane what you get for that kind of money that wasn't simply part of the equation in the watch world uh, 10 years ago. It's mm-hmm. insane. Right. And, and, and I also remark upon this, the fact that you can get, you know, the, the machinery that you can now have access to, these these automatic movements from Seiko and Citizen, give us an entire ability to create spec to spec some pretty on-point products. So now it comes down to aesthetics, it comes down to finishing, it comes down to that detail. There's an entire menu of, of specification possibilities. It's a matter of can you bring it to market at the right price? Do you have that attention to detail to do so? And bring it in at a price that's commercial, right? You've still got to make money. Yeah. So, so I think that's the that's the that's the point. But um, but I love the challenge of trying to figure out. Here's a watch for QVC. Here's a watch for an auction site. Here's a watch for you know some guy car park trying to sell some stuff out of the I don't I don't whatever it is. But there's there's <laughs> definitely the guy uh, with the watch rack and the trench coat, right? Yeah. You make that, a watch that, for him. That's right. That's all our guys. All I, those guys. I love that. I, those I, are your ballast watches, right? I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. <laughs> I, I I appreciate, and I, and I hope our listeners appreciate that that you fully recognize the the spectrum of people that you are yeah. you're trying to appeal to, and and I think I think Everett just just nailed it. Like you're you're trying to you're making watches for that guy to sell out of his trench coat, and you're making watches for us, and yeah. you. I appreciate that you're not hiding it. I love the transparency that we're seeing now. I, I dig it. You're you're a watch group. You're not a, a small brand who's trying to make that perfect watch to sell, you know, three hundred pieces to, to finish the the MOQ. You're yeah. you're mass producing these brands, you're managing these brands that are trying to reach everyone. I like I that. I mean and, and we we tr- look again when you come to the assholes, they love exclusivity, right? They love scarcity, right? Sure. So we, we take a position. We're not gonna overproduce in certain brands, right? But that means that the business plan and the financials around that have to change, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to overproduce, to be fair, and, and this is this is deliberate. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the micro brands on their own could probably calculate. I could produce more, but then I lose that FOMO. I lose that sort of hype and excitement that comes from you know the quick sellout. So there's there's a little bit of gamesmanship when it comes to that. I think when it comes to producing watches for some of this audience, I'm being radically transparent. I think mm-hmm. this is. Uh, so we we also have a certain degree of sort of saying no, we're not going to produce more of that. That once it's done, it's done. And I think we've created a certain hype cycle and excitement around uh, releases in that brand. But you're right; in other brands, we'll pump them out as many as we can sell for sure. There's, I think I think challenge. that's some that's some big dick energy though. You're like, this is going to sell. <laughs> I'm I'm not scared. This isn't going to go. This is this is flying off the shelves. We can make as many as we want, and they're going to sell. There's there's some confidence there that I appreciate. Yeah, well, again, right? and it's money on the table. If it's money on the table, we'd be silly not to, to do it. So, again, we've got liabilities. We've got a bigger uh, infrastructure that we have to feed. You know, So it isn't just kind of us with, with a bunch of swag. It is it is borne by the fact that we have bills to pay. We mm-hmm. have an infrastructure. And, again, this year especially has been kind of like where we've had to be more agile and more nimble and really not take for granted anything that's coming our way, right? I think that's the other part of when uh, a, any business is kind of being kind of, you know, put through the microscope and through the sort of vices of, of what, what, what it's going to withstand. You have to kind of be practical. And um, and I say this to a lot of the micro brands that we, we collaborate with. And my like, guys, you know what? You know, I get it. And I understand that you need that sort of, you know, that the height and you need the sort of scarcity and you need the sort of diligence. But 
if you can if you can think about this through because you've got to you know withstand and, and be around for next season when you come up with another release um so we try to understand that for sure well, I think it, I think it's really cool. I love what you're doing. We are probably going to transition before we do. Anything else you want to pitch about uh, any of these brands right now before we go? Um, give you give you a last last word on the watch talk. Plug okay. So if I'm going to plug anything, I would plug. Look, there's a great uh, on Aviate right now. We're in the middle of uh, a charity campaign. We are releasing a collaboration with a group called Help for Heroes. So I would like to kind of draw some noise to that because. Um, that's obviously watches for a great cause. So if you haven't, check us out on Instagram or better still, follow us through our email newsletter. Um, where you get some, obviously, some Black Friday deals. Uh, but look out for that. The Spinnaker, obviously, likewise, we're in the middle of uh, a little bit more aggressive action. So anybody who's tuning in for who are fans of those brands, definitely look out for those. Um, and, and yeah, look, I think uh, obviously you stay tuned, you know, for the most part, you'll start to see some cool things. You know, we're going to clean up our act. There's going to be some, I think next year really bodes well for both brands. We're starting to get the hang of this. Um, but yeah, no, I think, like you said, this sort of transparency messaging, I invite anybody to kind of look me up if, if they want to and send me their opinion. And I try to respond to some of it. Some of it I'm, is obviously not for public consumption. But, uh, but yeah, no, definitely, um, definitely, yeah, tune in to any of the brands. We appreciate all the, the custom and feedback that we can we can get from you. And hopefully, you know, being this transparent helps. I, I hope so. But uh, I think that's my, um, you know, I think that's the way we're going to do it from now on. Fantastic. Andrew, other things, what do you got? First, I, I would, I could spend maybe an hour to two hours with just a screenshot of what's happening on the, your office wall just trying to study it. I've yeah. been distracted by it the entire time. One of it's the, uh, the uh, um, you can't see where I'm pointing because you can't see our camera, but near the window, just above the filing cabinet, there is a face with kind of a red bottom. And it initially, before ever it uh, stretched the screen, it looked kind of like a South Park character, just the way it looked, it, like <laughs> just with short legs. Um, but I'm, I'm really digging all of the... Uh, concepts up there it looks like my wife said looks like you're like uh carrie at in homeland trying to figure shit out <laughs> yeah with the yarn the yarn and the safety pins she said, Dude, every time i come to your office it looks very scary like which serial killer are you tracking through this office it's it looks a bit like that right there's all you, these kind of you do that guy. there's a guy on the wall it's more of the mad researcher look than the than the than the uh super villain that i referenced earlier yeah yeah definitely yeah. definitely a crazy guy so a crazy guy making the watches in hong kong <laughs> for all the assholes is really what we're going to summate this entire <laughs> i mean if, if i love it when a guest just carries the interview Making watches for assholes and non-assholes. And non-assholes, um, true, yeah. true. And non-assholes, right? There's a lot of, that's what we said, right? We have to pay bills, so we have to make watches for non-assholes as well. So there aren't enough assholes to really cover the rent. So I think that's uh, <laughs> that's the other sort of takeaway. That yeah. I am. That is my new sort of life motto. There are not enough yeah. assholes to cover the rent. And and yeah. watch universe has, has. I'm gonna I'm gonna be taking that and exactly. using that. Yeah. Exactly. Feel free, feel free. Watch Universe. Yeah, that's a good one as well to take away from. So I'll dive into other things. Uh, wait. Other things, Andrew, go. Okay, yes. Uh, my other thing this week, it's a jacket that I've had for about a year. Yep. And I haven't talked about it yet. 
It's the first light, Uncompagre 2.0. Wait, 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 say that word? Uncompagre. Uncompagre? All, Uncompadre? I don't know. It's Uncompagre. So all of First Light's lines <laughs> That's are, nonsense. That's a nonsense are named after national forests and, and things of that ilk. So that's what this puffy is called. And it's a puffy coat, but it's not a quilted puffy in the way that like say sure. say that the you're thinking like a north face quilted puffy sure. and when i was buying this i was torn between the north face quilted puffy and this one because i get the discount through them it was just a little bit more expensive these run at i want to say 200 hang on i have it uh 200 money 200 money okay. 200 money they come in Six colors. They're two proprietary camouflage patterns. And then they come in an ash gray, which I have, which is kind of uh, just like a gray, gray that you'd expect. A black, a dry earth, and then a conifer. And the conifer is actually conifer color. It's not green. It's it's true conifer color. I have a couple of pants in the conifer. And they're they're like, oh, I look like a Christmas tree. I like it. <laughs> um, so these are DWR coded. Two-way, it's a packable pocket. They weigh 20 ounces, these jackets, these puffies. And I wore this in, it was about 20-ish degrees with just a t-shirt underneath. No shell. Super warm. Nope. No shell? Hmm. Nope. Super warm, super cozy. They're shooters cut, so they're built for, like, to be active, to be moving around. I mean, they're hunting clothing, so they're meant to be moving yep. around. They pull moisture off you. You don't overheat and get sweaty unless you're, like, running in it, and then you're going to overheat and get sweaty because you're... Because you're fat. That's why you're getting sweaty when you run. That's just what happens. But <clears throat> let me tell you, the, the, the best. So this is just a terrific jacket. It's super warm, mostly very water resistant, snow resistant, very wind resistant. There's one thing that sets it apart from any other jacket I've ever owned. Tell me. What's the worst part of wearing a jacket in the rain without the hood up? Uh, uh, getting rain on your neck? Yeah. Oh. It's solved here. There is. You've got a gusset. There's a little gusset that sits like just from from about collarbone to collarbone on the back of your neck, an elastic material that when you're wearing it, it sits flush against your neck and prevents that fucking nightmare <laughs> of a snowflake or a raindrop falling down the back of your neck and ruining your entire afternoon. You're a snowflake. I am a snowflake. It is. It's a terrific jacket. It's super light. It's super warm. I, if you're in the market for a puffy, if you're in the market for an insulating, like a, a super insulator for hunting, any kind of outdoor activity, take a look. These, it's too, it's too hot in my, it's, it's <laughs> way too warm to wear indoors right now. I get this thing um, off. It's like just an immediate warmer. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's terrific. I'm too hot. So the Uncompagre 2, 200 Un money from First Light. Uncompagre. Uncompagre. Take We're it. not going to spell that. Check them out. On the air, but we will have a link in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, if I do them. If you do the show notes. Yeah. And even if you don't, I'll probably make it happen. Coin toss chance. <laughs> it's a little better than a coin toss. Yeah, it's about it. It's a it's like about a fifty two percent chance. Six sixty forty. It's, it's we'll give you a sixty, sixty forty. So I've got another thing. I I was in I've I've been in the market for khakis, but right now, right now, today, uh it's very hard. You can't try them on. So uh, I I you know, things like pants, I've you know, pants are hard for me to buy. I, I have a tough time with off the rack pants. So I got to try them on, um, and so uh, you can't try. Did you get the Kornacki khakis? No, I bought khakis off of Amazon. Oh, interesting. We've had some some uh, buyer beware stories from Amazon clothing. I bought Amazon sort of men's fashion brand, Good Threads. Okay. I bought their 
whatever uh, regular slim fit khaki. I mean, they look really good on the floor next to you. They <laughs> <laughs> the regular slim fit khaki. They are just sort of British khaki color. They are, you know, kind of that light, that darker uh khaki color that's the color i prefer the color's fine whatever you and they come in like 15 different colors by the way but um i think that there's some inconsistency in terms of sizing but what i found is for the pair i got for my body they're slightly stretchy Mm, i need that too they fit great the construction's fantastic and they're 30 bucks and they got to my house in two days and i was like man prime member this is a good khaki for 30 bucks it's just fantastic. So they're, I think they're like 95% uh, or 97% cotton with 3% spandex, which gives them just mm-hmm. just enough. Just enough stretch. Uh, they look like, they don't look uh, like tech fabric, right? Because they're not. It's, they look like cotton, like a washed cotton. And I was like, man, I am never going to buy another pair of J. Crew khakis or Brooks Brothers khakis for a hundred and some dollars. I have a dollars. lot of J. Crew khakis. Yeah, I, I, I've had a couple pair over the years, and, and that's always been my go-to. For 30 bucks, this is every bit as good as that. And I was really happy. So $30, there'll be a link in the show notes. Good Threads khakis. I think you should try them. They, they're for me, I like a little bit higher rise, not a high rise, but I want it to sit just about my waist. I don't want the low cut khakis. I want super low. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> not. It's not 2006 anymore. Turns out. No, see, 20- I what I do is I I kind of I have them adjusted and I have them cut the front lower because I need the I need the back to come up over the crack and I have them cut the front lower. Really? No. What <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> so good threads khakis. 30 bucks take a flyer if you're looking for khakis you know, you know i don't wear a ton of khakis i wear jeans and i wear and i wear suit pants right or or or, or dress trousers uh but i needed some khakis i just needed a couple pair of khakis and uh yeah. dress trousers who are you Tra- well, i mean that's what that's what you call that's what you call dress pants okay <laughs> that's what you call them <laughs> yeah sure sure uh vishal do you got another yeah. thing other things what do you got man First of all, I'm just recovering from the time, the number of times I've heard the word khaki in the last seven minutes. It was a lot of... It was offensive. Yeah, I'm sorry. A lot of the word khaki. Um, sorry. And, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have my fascination right now as I look at my desk. I will tell you what I am obsessed with is these Pilot friction pens. Have you heard of these guys? Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. They are a life changer. So I, I'm, um, I'm just buying and buying and buying as many as I can get my hands on. I think they're incredible. Um, they are the sort of the sort of loose piece of stationery that holds my life together. Um, but they're great. I think they are fascinating because they give you that sort of you know seriousness of a pen, right? It's proper ink. It's not pencil. It's not going to erase itself. But should you make a mistake and should you need to sort of edit things? You know they're ready to go. So I, I, um, I would if I'm if this is an opportunity to vouch for a product without any sort of financial kind of kickback to me, I would I would say this. I would say the the, the Pilot friction pens I are amazing. I I have refills. I bought recently. Recently, that's how that's how I know I'm really into them. Um, they're great, and the Rocket Book that goes along with them. I'm a big fan of the Rocket Book series as well that's great you know pilot's such a great company uh we've talked about other pilot products on the show here before because pilot is one of these companies i mean pilot is like the seiko of the pen world right they make 
really fucking good consumer ready products. You can find Pilot at any uh, Target, Walmart. You can in the find country. them at Seven Eleven. But they also have this like under catalog of y- you know the knowledgeable guy or gal who's into stationery knows about this thing and you can order them from jet pens or something like pilots a just a cool stinking company i use hundreds of g2s a year yeah and and g2 that's such a great pen and you can buy it at any target in the country mm-hmm. right but yeah. they have but they also have uh, this great yeah. sort of catalog of of off the menu as as i would i would say off the menu items Special that you can get into secret it. menu that's secret menu yeah. that's right secret menu items so uh, yeah, and and you know what? I've used a number of these friction pens, and, and you're right; they're totally great. Yeah, yeah, life changing. So I, I I would you know like I said something that um, I'm going to buy more of this Christmas. I think for myself, but but I'm very very excited by them. So yeah, no, I think like you said, it's a great brand. Like you said, it's it's one of those kind of unheralded products and companies that people want to discover and say, you know what, man, they make some amazing things. So yeah, that's my. Um, Product vouch, if that's what I can call it. Yeah, that's my product vouch. Uh, other than that, I'm listening to some podcasts. Uh, throw that in the mix. Uh, what am I listening to? Bunga Bunga is the new one, um, which I started to pick up. I started hearing that. It was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of it. Other other than that, I'm kind of all about work and family. So you get a two for what's Bunga Bunga? Bunga Bunga is, uh, I think it's by Wondery, it's the life and times of Silvio Berlusconi, who for me is a fascinating character, uh, just because he is kind of in that sort of rascalian type of leader who just got away with stuff, um, and without drawing obvious parallels to somebody currently in the news. Um, but that kind <laughs> of figure, for me, is fascinating. Just the ability to just get away with stuff is, is, is mind-boggling. So... Um, yeah, that, that's currently what's on my, uh, podcast, um, ear list or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Sure. Sure. I love it. I love it. Well, Andrew, I, I think it's that sad time. We're going to move on to anything else you want to add before we do go today. Nope. Vishal, I'm so glad that you joined us for this show. And, and I think you're right. I think we do probably have to have you on to talk about some more nuanced aspects of, of your, your background and what you do. Uh, sorry, we don't have more time to sort of dive into all of this in, in a single week's episode. Uh, and anything that you want to say before we before we get going? Uh, no, again, look, a big thank you. I know I'm not, I'm not sure if this is the audience for it, but this is again just a thank you to everybody who is a listener and a a consumer fan uh, critic of, of our products and watches. I appreciate it. Uh, we don't take it for granted. Again, not to sound trite, but it is it is actually a genuine thing that we always try to communicate to sort of say thank you. Um, for all of it, but uh, but yeah, look, I I really enjoyed the last hour. It's gone pretty quickly. I'd love to be back on sometime. I'll be better organized with the audio and obviously without the sort of scary uh, serial killer hunter background wall behind. <laughs> it's uh, fantastic, man! Don't change a thing. <laughs> love yeah. it. Yeah, but but no, I mean, look, it's kind of almost like I felt like a confessional today, which was very also cathartic. I also felt got a lot of things off my chest, which was good. I hope it didn't come off too garbled, but. Uh, no, genuinely, thank you both for, for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm around. Listen, you know where I live, you know where I'm at. So find me and uh, I'd be happy to kind of, especially if you want to get into the nooks and crannies of the industry and find out kind of other sort of uh, pieces behind the curtain. That could be my piece. Maybe that's what I am. I'm behind the curtain. Maybe <laughs> that's sort of a subset of some of the podcasts you do. Behind the curtain, 
Shalt, no. <laughs> just a pitch. Just a pitch. Well, it, it's been our pleasure. Vishal Talani, uh, uh, CEO of Dartmouth Brands, owner of Aviate, Spinnaker, Dufa, as well as a ton of other brands. Thank you so much for joining us. Andrew, thank you for joining me. I mean, I have a key to your house. I'm here all the time. I really do appreciate you joining me for this episode. And thank you at home for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Uh, check us out on Instagram. We post pictures there occasionally. Instagram at 40 and 20 or at watch clicker. We'll post more pictures than we do. We'll post more pictures than us. Check us out on the website, watchclicker.com. That's where every episode of the podcast shows up and where we have weekly content like reviews of awesome watches, like the AV8 Lafayette Flyboy Chronograph. Yeah. If you want to support the show, you can check us out on patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where Watch Clicker and 40 and 20 gets all of our money for hosting and everything. We've had a couple of new uh, patrons in this last couple of weeks, and it's just really such a pleasure to see that. Uh, it, it, it makes me warm inside. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to tune, up, tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs>